Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of a Shabbat learning session with TBA rabbinic intern Ben Siegel. I know I did something that was probably a little impulsive. Um, please don't follow my impulsivity and don't look at the sheets just yet, at least in terms of the text. Um, I'll introduce what we're studying in a second, but I do want to focus on the first couple questions that were on there, and that's why things got passed out when they did. Um, so today, one of the topics we're going to be talking about is leadership, and um, I want to start off with a brief conversation about what you think makes a strong leader, um, what actions, what traits, um, what characteristics. So uh, I'm opening the question to the floor on this. Yeah. Empathy, okay. Confidence. Decisiveness. Decisiveness, being able to admit they're wrong. I think that other, yeah. Problem solving. Other thoughts? I think that setting an example. Creative, charismatic. I think that makes a pretty good leader. Um, great overall list. And um, let's change the thought process for a second here. How does that change or does it change if you're talking about a religious leader? I'm seeing a no from Santa. Lit, cu uh, cultural literacy in whatever the religion is. Okay, so cultural literacy, that would be an important potential addition, although I might say that even from a non-religious leader, there's, and we didn't bring it up, there's probably an expectation of that. Other thoughts? So to to think of their leadership as being not just of a connection, connections here on earth, but on a greater level. Um, I'm hearing to a certain extent, maybe even connections with God. Um, we don't need to be afraid to use that word in this building. Yeah. Great. So Sandra is saying not just seeing it as a task at hand or a job, but seeing it as a calling. Um, and we'll see some of that in the text we're going to be looking at. Great. So let me preface the text now that we're going to be getting into. Um, so there is a course of study known as 929, which is studying every chapter of uh, Tanakh, of the Hebrew Bible, from, from literally the beginning um, through to the end, a chapter a day. And in the upcoming week, um, one of the chapters that's coming up, chapter 6 of Shoftim, of Judges, um, it looks at... Um, one leader among many that we've had in our past, um, and his origin story, that leader being Gidon, Gideon. And um, I want to take a look at the text and see why it may be that um, those before us look to Gideon as a leader and whether or not um, in a modern sensibility he rises, or at least the way that we're looking at leadership, he rises to the task or not. Um, so can I get a volunteer to, actually, um, for the sake of Zoom and whatnot, I'll go ahead and read, um, and then we'll, um, we'll address some questions. Um, let me just break it up um, a little bit here, because you'll see that I'm starting at verse 15. Um, that's in part for brevity, but the first 14 or so verses... Um, are the Israelites, this is all happening after the story of um, Deborah and Barak and Sisera, and we have a great leader, and then leaders don't last forever, 
and um, there's a void of leadership, the people rebel, and the Israelites are taken, are lose their sovereignty. Um, and so that's like the first 10 ish verses. And then um, the next couple verses are God calling out to Gidon and saying, you're going to be the next leader of Israel. Um, and so Gidon responds back. Um, he, Gidon, said to him, please, my Lord, how can I deliver Israel? Why, my clan is the humblest in Manasseh, and I am the youngest in my father's household. The Lord replied, I will be with you, and you shall defeat Midian to a man. And he said to him, if I have gained your favor, give me a sign that it is you who are speaking to me. Do not leave this place until I come back to you and bring out my offering and place it before you. And he answered, I will stay until you return. And then the next little bit is Gidon going into his household and preparing this offering. And then we pick up with uh, verse 21. The angel of the Lord held out the staff that he carried and touched the meat and the unleavened bread with its tip. Those are the two things that Gidon brings out as an offering. A fire sprang up from the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened bread. And the angel of the Lord vanished from his sight. Then Gidon realized that it was an angel of the Lord. And Gidon said, Alas, O Lord God, for I have seen an angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, All is well, have no fear. You shall not die. So Gidon built there an altar to the Lord and called it Adonai Shalom. To this day it stands in Ophrah of the Abiezrites. Um, so this is our first look as Gidon as a leader to a certain extent. He's not leading anyone in particular, but it's our first look into Gidon's relationship with God. Um, does this look like a leader to you? He looks like Moshe. Can you say more on that? Great. So Sandra's saying that he has the, the humility of that, a humility that calls back to Moshe. And that's certainly something in our tradition. We look up to Moshe. So that would be, and that's one of Moshe's key leadership traits or character traits that come out in Moshe's leadership. That should be something that we also look up to in a good leader that isn't just Moshe. Other thoughts? How do you feel about the asking God for multi multiple signs that this is supposed to be the next leader? So, okay. So the asking for signs is once again a callback kind of to Moshe that we should also potentially be looking up to. So this is not just a callback to Moshe, it's also a callback to the servant that Avram sends out to go look for a wife for his son. And um, that was also a successful journey on behalf of a Jewish figure. So too, the, a Jewish leader. Um, so that shouldn't be... So you're saying that shouldn't be a sign that we maybe think twice about looking to Gidon as a leader. Okay. Yeah. So, so the, so if I understand what you're saying correctly, Stevie, the fact we have the reluctance, that's one thing that we've already discussed, but the surprise at what this encounter with an angel looks like is not something to be completely upset about either because everyone else before him has also done that. Like, it's, it is a scary thing to come face to face with a messenger of God, be it God himself, God, God's self, or... Right. So the fact that the initial conversation, the angel doesn't come out and say, I'm an angel, 
we shouldn't be shocked then at that at the end of the conversation where this big reveal happens that there's some sort of shock surprise something like that yeah oh okay um one sec i just want to rephrase restate and then yeah um so what was stated was that this is also this idea of surprise at encounters with celestial beings is also something that is a trope through the torah that we see or through tanakh that we see again and again and again and so that shouldn't necessarily take us aback either yeah go ahead yeah so thank you um i'm not sure that i'm going to get everyone right but so end of torah is moshe um is our leader then we go into the book of joshua and that's joshua we're we're six chapters into shof team and i want to say we've had two we've had like three different show uh shof team up to this point i'm not 100 percent sure i'm getting that number right but we, we haven't had that many yeah that that's going to happen in later chapters but but we're no no long after joseph yeah so we're we're out of torah at this point um yeah you're ahead of us <laughs> but but we'll get there we will okay looking forward to it so um i i want to phrase this now all in or I want to put this into perspective a little bit and just ask you for a second. You're having a conversation with someone on the street and they've come up to you and told you something that could be viewed as a little bit outrageous. And five seconds later, they vanish and you realize they're an angel. How do you react to that? You've totally had that happen. <laughs> Great. Yeah. So story was told about, um, if I understand correctly, this was an encounter that was happening with someone who was professing to prophecy, which today we probably would be more likely to, ex we would be more likely to assume that it was some sort of a mental health issue than it was actually speaking on behalf of God. Um, and so it leads to a conversation. How do we today interact with how would we interact with people who are professing to prophecy or potentially angels, at least as our tradition has written them into um, our holiest books? And I, I don't know what the answer is for myself. I, I would imagine for myself that if I came, if I was in Guidon's shoes here, I would be happy if I came out looking like he did. I would probably be a lot more scared um, and would probably be a lot more afraid that I had offended God. Um, and uh, at the same point, I would also probably be asking for more than just a couple of signs that God had chosen me to do anything, even if it was a small minute task. And we'll see in a second that this is no small task that Gidon is called to. Um, we have a history of not really listening to our leaders um, we have a history of having to overcome very um, difficult um, foreign rule, and these are all things that are going to be on Guidon's plate from day one. Great. We're, but we're talking angels here. So let's, 
let's move on in the text for a second here. And we'll delve into this a little bit more about what his first task as a leader is going to look like. He's been chosen. He's been a little bit afraid about it, but he's going to go ahead and at least do something that can be called an act of leadership. So that night, the Lord said to him, take the young bull belonging to your father and another bull seven years old, pull down the altar of Baal, which belongs to your father and cut down the sacred post, which is beside it. Then build an altar to the Lord your God on the level ground, on top of this, um, on top of this stronghold. Take the other bull and offer it as a burnt offering using the wood of the sacred post that you have cut down. So, Gida, so Gideon took uh, ten of his servants and did as the Lord had told him. But he was afraid to do it by day on account of his father's household and the townspeople. He did it by night. Early the next morning, the townspeople found that the altar of Baal had been torn down and the sacred post beside it had been cut down and that the second bull had been offered on the newly built altar. They said to one another, who did this thing? Upon inquiry and investigation, they were told, Gideon, son of Yoash, did this thing. The townspeople said to Yoash, bring out your son, for he must die. He has torn down the altar of Baal and cut down the sacred post beside it. But Yoash said to all who had risen against him, do you have to contend for Baal? Do you have to vindicate him? Whoever fights his battle shall be dead by the morning. If he is a god, let him fight his own battle, since it is his altar that has been torn down. That day they named him Yerubal, meaning let Baal contend with him, since he tore down his altar. So my first question, I'm actually going to proceed for a second here and say, who's, who um, in this text do you think has acts of leadership? Yoash steps up. Yeah. Yoash. Yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah. So we have Yoash definitely shows, if I'm understanding what we were just discussing here, Yoash definitely shows an act of leadership by standing up to the townspeople. Um, and there's also some uncertainty about how he even comes around to this point because this was his altar in the first place that his son tore down. Gidon maybe shows some leadership by listening to God um, and the townspeople, there, there are other character here, probably not, I'm guessing. Um, other thoughts? So, yeah. So, and that's on me because I was trying to cut down for time and I don't know that I needed to cut down for time quite as much as I did. Um, but um, yeah, so th those first couple, the, the call from literally comes from God and it kind of comes out of the blue other than the fact that we've been set up for this power vacuum in which the people are engaging in idolatry and they don't have a clear leader and the Midianites have taken over, and that's the background. All of a sudden, we get a call. Um, Gidon gets the call from God, and that's not exactly a call that you can't answer. Um, and that brings it, and that's sort of where we were picking up from. Um, there's not a lot of context to any previous actions that Gidon has done. His first actions that we're seeing are right here. Um, in terms of the people and like the cultural context, the Midianites are an idolatrous group and they've taken over and that's just the religion of the land at this point. Yeah, you can call it that, you can call it any number of other things, but 
it's back in ancient times, religion was tied to the government to a certain extent. And so when one government or one ruling power moved in, the gods of that ruling power moved in with them and everyone kind of got behind that. Um, we were one of the few peoples that had a religion without power. And so that's the dynamic that's playing out through all the book of Shoftim and beyond is how do you act as a people? And it's a very modern conversation that we could have at another point as well. How do you act as a people that doesn't necessarily have the dominant culture and religion when you still have your own culture and religion? It's a bit of both assimilation by osmosis and assimilation by the sword. There's certainly a sense of this is what you do or else. Um, but there's also just generally back in the day, a sense of your, when one ruling power um, overcame another ruling power, it was a sign, it was viewed as a sign that one ruling power's God had overcome the other ruling power's God or gods or pantheon. And so it was viewed as a religious sign when that happened. Um, and it's not, a, it's not something that we don't see in our text either. We, there's certainly a sense that when the Jewish people turn away from God, then God turns away from the Jewish people and those people, the Jewish people lose sovereignty. The Israelites, that's a story that also plays out in Shoftim a lot, is this loss of um, faithfulness to God and as a result, a loss of um, political power. Yeah, great. I, that was nowhere on my mind, and I love that connection. This idea of Judah and Tamar, and of Tamar reminding Judah what it actually means to be in line with the rules of the civilization, of Israelite religion, Jewish peoplehood, etc. And so there's, once again here, we have the younger generation reminding the older generation, here's what we actually need to be doing. You've, you've got to come back around to what you had told us was important. Great. Um, how would you, so I'm curious how you guys feel about Gideon getting a new name that has a foreign God in it too. That's now going to be, this is someone who is known as someone who let Baal contend with him, but Baal is a foreign God. This is a Jewish, this would be, this would be a modern, I'm not going to go there, but, um, <laughs> but like you can imagine what it would be like today if we had someone who was going, who was the chief rabbi of Israel, let's say even, with the name of another religion in it. Thoughts? So it's a reminder of defeat. It's a reminder. It's, it's a victory celebration. Okay. All right. Yeah. And so, so it's an invitation to conflict and... Is that something that we want in a religious leader then? Yeah, there's a lot of pronouns here, which does not make things difficult, but, uh, or which does make things difficult. Yeah. I don't, I'm trying to remember, I don't think the text further on refer, brings that name up again. It's kind of a nickname. And, and it even says they named him that. He, he's not going around, whoever that he is, is not going around calling himself. Right. Okay. We, we can, there's certainly some, um, yes, there's certainly some biblical ambiguity and there's nothing quite like it. So I want to wrap up by just looking at this overall story. Um, 
the chapter ends with Gideon asking for yet another sign from God that he is the chosen one and Gideon gets the sign. Um, and that's where our chapter ends. So we've done a chapter in 929 that's coming up this week. My question for you is, um, and Gideon's story will go on beyond this, but from his origin at least, how would you feel if this was your leader? We've, we've got one, I'd take the father over Gideon, another, but the father was a ball worshiper. Other thoughts? This side of the room has been very quiet. Thoughts? Let me rephrase it in a different way then, because this is something that people tend to be very contentious about. Let's say, let's say Beth Am is looking for another rabbi. Is Gideon the person you want to be that rabbi? No, that was a very quick no. Can you say more about why no? Great. What, one second, just so I can. So one point of view on this was that if Gidon was up for a pulpit here at Petham, the answer would be no, because there's just partially because there's not enough information, but also partially because he's very tentative and he's only doing what God's telling him. There's no synthesis. There's just a sense of, I'm told to do this by God, so I do it. And there's not any real thought that's going into the actions that are playing out. Go ahead. Great. So the opposing point would say the hesitance isn't hesitance, it's humility. And that is a very effective quality in a rabbi if we're going to talk about that idea of a Jewish leader. Great. So Gidon is a revolutionary. He's going up against all of society on his own. And if there's a little bit of hesitance, let him have it. There's nothing wrong with that as long as the outcome is what's supposed to happen. Is that a good rephrasing of what you're saying? Great. Yeah. Great. So one other way of looking at what happens here at night is that it's actually an attempt to avoid conflict while still doing the right thing. And, um, in that sense, he's actually problem solving. He's not necessarily being hesitant. Um, I'm in a. <laughs> so um, I want to wrap up here, but um, I think that we can sit with both of these ideas of Gidon and say that there's a certain sense that he's not the perfect leader. There's also a certain sense that he does show some leadership qualities, hence why he's one of our Shof team. And part of that, I think, just comes out of different leadership needs for different times. Certain qualities will be more necessary in, to lead us certain people in certain times than they will be in other times or with different groups of people. And so my blessing for this community is that um, as we're looking at the 50th anniversary of the Library Minion and so many more wonderful things to celebrate, including having the USCG board here next week, um, that all these leaders who bless us, bless us with the right qualities at the right time. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.